Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. I am so excited about this episode. This is one of the kinds of conversations that I think need to be happening more in kind of the feminist movement as a whole, which is obviously a huge hole. But I do think as with any kind of social justice movement, there can be this tendency to be kind of insular, to assume that, you know, if somebody doesn't kind of agree with you or identify as a feminist by now, then whatever they're like being obtuse or obstinate or they just don't get it or whatever it is. And I think especially going from a very socially justice, critical theory, academic policy, activism world to the life coaching world, I really noticed a big difference, obviously, (laughs) in how people think about social justice movements in general, how people think about feminism in particular, how much or how little people identify with social movements as part of their kind of worldview. And so I was so excited to have this conversation with some of my students who came into the advanced feminist certification that I teach not necessarily identifying as feminists. They were attracted to the certification because they were coaches. They knew my work. They knew my coaching. Something in it had spoken to them, but they didn't identify as feminists necessarily for a variety of different reasons. And so today we're going to talk about that. And I think this episode is going to be helpful you know, if you aren't sure about whether you want to be a feminist or identify with that to understand why some of my students have now kind of transitioned in the way that they think about their relationship to the movement. And if you already strongly identify as a feminist to hear and understand what may be some of your blind spots about why other people don't relate to the movement the same way that you do. So it's a great conversation, and we are going to be launching the advanced certification in feminist coaching soon. Again, we only do it once a year, and it is a application-only process. You apply, and then we review your application. We keep it to a pretty small group so that everybody really gets the kind of attention and specific coaching feedback they need. It's one of my favorite things I do. So if you are at all interested, you will want to get on the interest list because we open it up to the interest list before we open it to the general public. And last year was only the first time we did it and it sold out just from that interest list. It filled up. So if you want to be on that list that you get the email letting you know when applications are open, you get that head start on everybody else and it's rolling. So that head start can be very helpful because we are reading and applying as applications come in. And once it's full, it's full. So you can go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash ACFC, just the letters like an acronym, right? ACFC. Or you can text your email to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. That's plus one three four seven nine nine seven seventeen eighty four. And then when you are prompted for the code word, you just text back ACFC, all caps, all one word, just like the URL. All right, let's get started with this conversation. Hello, my chickens. I am 
I always say that I'm super excited about whatever interview I'm about to do. So just number one, I am always super excited. But this is a topic that I love that I think is so interesting. And so for a lot of you who listen to the podcast, maybe already identified as a feminist when you found me. That's how you found the podcast. I know some of you didn't because I get Instagram messages sometimes that are like, I'm a 17-year-old living in rural Nebraska and my family are all conservative and I thought feminists you know, were man-hating and whatever. We're out to destroy civilization until I found your podcast and now I understand. So, But I'm sure that there are people in a range of different positions about this listening to the podcast. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about with some of my coaches for my advanced certification is their relationship to feminism and how they identify or didn't identify before they came to the podcast and to sort of bring up all of the reasons that people may or may not identify as feminists, right? Which can have to do with like your personal upbringing, your politics, your kind of background and identity, right? The ways that feminism has been historically in the US, a kind of white privilege women's movement until recently, and some would say still is. And so we're just going to talk about it from all different perspectives. I'm not going to recap the perspectives. I'll let everybody tell their own. So I'm going to ask everybody to introduce themselves. And then we're just going to kind of like get into it and talk about what we historically have thought the word feminist meant, how the kind of experience of the program may have changed or not changed people's perspectives and kind of what the evolution of our relationships to that word has been. So let me call on people to introduce themselves just to keep it kind of orderly here. Greg, you want to go first? Just tell us, well, you're an old favorite on the podcast, but just for anybody listening to this for the first time, who you are, who you coach, and then we'll dig into the actual details later. Okay, great. Brick Johnson. I am a master certified life coach. I coach mindset mostly for high achieving black women, helping them make the shift in their mindset and like unclutter all the stuff that's getting in their way. I love it. What about you, Maggie? Hello, everyone. My name is Maggie Reyes. I am a marriage life coach. I help type A women have better marriages. And everything that I do is feminism without the label feminism attached to it. So I'm excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) You're more, you're like, oh, that's what this is called? Linda, what about you? Yeah. So I'm Linda Street. I am a life coach for female physicians who are working on their salary negotiations to help them get more money and get out of their own way on their journey to more money. And I'm thrilled to be here as well. (laughs) Linda and I just did another podcast yesterday. So this is just like now our new daily routine. All right. So let's, I think everybody who listens to the podcast has heard, like, I don't think I came out of the womb of knowing the word feminist, but it was like pretty close. I was like an angry feminist in my high school days writing, you know, newspaper editorials about it and has been always pretty core to my political and social identity. But that's obviously not the case for everyone. So what I'd love to hear is maybe in the order that we did the introductions, just kind of like riff and explain to us what relationship if any you've had to the word and at least how you thought about it before you came into ACFC. I had very little relationship to the word feminism. Like I was a black woman living a black experience and just saw feminism as, I never even considered it as white privilege. I just considered it as Like, I just never gave much thought to it. Like, it just didn't take up space in my mind. Like, I would look at, I knew knew Gloria Steinem. That was the extent of it. And then I never even knew that there was a subcategory that I totally dig. You know, Black feminism and then feminism and intersectionality. I didn't know that until I got into your group. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. So it wasn't like you weren't like, I'm opposed to this. You were just like, there's a lot of things in the world I don't think about, and feminism is one of them. Like, Right. If you had to ask me, was I a feminist? Of course. Like, I was trained. You know, I had my own. I was a single mother. I had my own house, everything. So it was like, yeah, of course. Like, But it was never something that I just, you know, identified as. That's interesting. Wait, so if somebody had said to you, hey, do you, or do you think you're a feminist before ACFC, would you have said yes? Or would you have been like, I don't know what? It wouldn't have been a hell yes. Mm. Right now like, it's yes, like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like now it's a hell yes. Oh, for uh-huh. sure. Right. But like what I saw of feminism, I didn't totally identify with. Mm-hmm. So it would have been like, yeah, like I would have had to explain it. <laughs> right. You're like, well, I'm not the opposite. Not right. like a meninist. So I guess. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Right. right. Just like wasn't speaking to you. It wasn't, didn't seem like it was speaking to your concerns. It didn't speak to me at all. Yeah. What about you, Maggie? So my relationship to the word, I actually gave this a lot of thought before <laughs> we met today. <laughs> and I talked to my husband and he took a woman's studies class in college, which I did not. And he's like, you are absolutely a feminist. You always have been. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> He was so clear. It's like, oh, how interesting. We all have blind spots, don't we? Uh-huh. So, so my mom was a feminist and she was just angry all the time. Mm. And I didn't understand as I was growing up. I was like, that thing where you're angry all the time does not seem like a thing that I would. Is it a club? Do you are there memberships? Is there just like these were like the things, right? Right, the angry club. <laughs> the angry club. <laughs> And then if I think about my career, I used to work in HR and I was that person where I was was like, why aren't there any women in this position, that position, the other position, let's go hire some women. And what do I need to do in order to make that happen? Like I was doing all the things that a feminist would do, but I was like, I'm not a member of the club. So I don't know. I can't identify myself as something. I don't have a membership card. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's interesting. But you felt like your mother had a membership card. Like she was like. I felt like she had very strong opinions about a lot of things, and most of them were negative and circular. Like, I didn't see her moving forward in whatever mm-hmm. angry thing it was. And I have, even as a child, I've been that person and like, solution focused. Okay, so what are we going to do about mm-hmm. this? And where do we go from here? Part of my thought process around to identify as a feminist, if if you asked me to describe myself, I'd be like, well, I'm Cuban, I'm a life coach, I'm a small business owner, I'm a wife. Like I would say 50 adjectives Mm -hmm. before it would cross my mind to also Mm -hmm. say, and also Mm -hmm. (laughs) feminist. Yeah. So interesting. I love that you were just running around being like doing all the feminist things and then right. Being like, no, it's not, it's just normal. (laughs) What about you, Linda? Yeah. And I think I came from a very different angle and it's been fun listening to Brig and Maggie's kind of stories on this. So I'm the first girl after three boys and my dad was a drill sergeant. So I grew up in a very male- Like a literal drill field. sergeant? Literally for a little while. Okay. Yes. Just clarifying for everybody. Um, literally. Literal drill sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in a very male predominant kind of environment and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So goes right along with that story. But she always told me, like, you can have your own money. You can do this. And so I felt like for me, it was very much something I felt like I had to prove the whole time. Like I was always proven something. I remember my grandfather at 16 telling me I couldn't go to medical school because I was a girl. Why didn't I apply to nursing school? 
And he got the first invitation to my medical school graduation, by the way. And <laughs> you're like, I'm um, graduating Katie. at you. This is gradu- yes. I'm graduating. Yes. So it's funny that Maggie mentions the anger because that was a lot of my experience. I think for the first part of my life with feminism is this very like angry, I'm going to go ahead and really like show the world that I'm woman, hear me roar. And so it was very much this girl power, spice girls, like I'm going to show you type of a feminism energy. And so for me, what was so interesting prior to coming into the training is I was in that headspace of girl power. I'm woman. Yay. I mean, I'm an obstetrician. And then I had two sons, which made things really kind of challenging for my brain, broke my brain a little, but I was totally unaware of this whole concept of white feminism. And as soon as you started bringing it up in your copy, I was like, oh shit. (laughs) I was like, I think I'm in the club and I didn't even mean to be. (laughs) Right. And I don't want to, I was like, I don't want to be in an not including club. I was like, I don't know if I want to be in that club. And it was just kind of an unawareness. Like it wasn't even trying to be exclusionary, but just lack of awareness of the other facets of the whole complex topic. And so that actually made me a little intimidated because I was like, Cara is going to eat me for lunch. I'm going to show up to this training. I love how many people tell me they're terrified of me who then work (laughs) with me. We did a focus group for the clutch yesterday. And part of what we asked was like, why don't you apply for live coaching? And these people have like been in the clutch for a year and they're like, oh, I'm terrified of you. Like, but you're here. Like, what's (laughs) happening? Right. I'm not that scary. Everybody listening. I've she never wasn't. eaten a person. She was not scary. Not, I'm still I'm here, not, not lunch. <laughs> there you are. That's right. <laughs> right, right. And so I think that was the angle that gave me pause and made me a little nervous about the training just because mm-hmm. I was like, with every piece of growth, I feel like right before you embark on a lot of growth, there's this like, uh-oh, what if I've been doing this wrong the whole time? Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of that for me. So it was coming from a little bit of a different place, which was interesting. Yeah. I feel like we should also define maybe for people, I mean, define, people write whole books about these things, but right, white feminism being sort of a feminism mostly created for and to the advantage of white women that is dealing with mostly not just white women, but sort of socioeconomically middle to upper class white women. So for instance, we talked about this in the podcast yesterday a little bit where we talked about work-life balance. Like, well, work-life balance is something that, you know, white women with a professional job and childcare worry about versus somebody, you know, a single black mom who's working three jobs, not really so much worried about the life work balance, worried about the like, can I pay rent? And like, I have to take two buses to get to my job situation, right? So when we talk about white feminism, we mean kind of traditional, kind of mainstream dominant culture discussion around feminism, which for a long time was very focused on white women's issues. And, you know, we won't go into, well, maybe it'll come up in the rest of the podcast, but there's a long history of white women allying themselves with white supremacy to advance white feminism, right? So like arguing that white women need to be given the vote because if we give black people the vote, then we have to have more white people having the vote to balance things out, right? That was an argument some of the suffragettes used. So it's completely obviously understandable why some people have not identified with, with white feminism. Amy had to join us a few minutes late, but do you want to, we actually have, all we've done is introduce ourselves and talk about kind of where we were with feminism before the program. So if you want to just do both of those at once, you'll be all caught up. Okay, sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm Amy Logan. I am an ex-Mormon life coach, podcast called Ex-Mormonology. And my thoughts are very scattered. Apologize for being late. I wrote the right time wrong down. But yeah, I was so afraid to use the term feminist. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know why I thought that way. 
So that's why I knew that your course was what I needed because I didn't even know there was a difference between like white feminism and all the other things that we've learned in your class. Like to me, I just didn't even know it. So I felt a little bit like during the headlights coming to what I was going to be learning from you and just loving it. I had such a fear. Like I remember being a little girl in the seventies walking with my mom. She was pushing a stroller. I don't know exactly the year, but we were going to vote. She was going to vote. And I feel like it was an ERA, you know, amendment to go. And I remember going and I remember in our church that that was very frowned upon. You're not supposed to vote for the equal, you know, equality with women. Equal rights amendment. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. Equal rights. I'm flustered with my words. Yeah. And I remember thinking that just always stuck out to me because I was too young to know what was going on. And this is when people still voted like in garages. Like that's what we did in our neighborhood. And I just remember that sticking out. So I've just had that soundtrack in the back of my head that feminism is just a bad word. And so it felt so uncomfortable to be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to open this door. I'm going to see what's behind this feminist door. Cause clearly with my lived experience, I'm about being authentic and being the authority of your life and being this voice to help people overcome their own insecurities and things that hold them back. And being a woman, this seemed like the right path to be on. I'm curious if you think like, what, if any, uh, part of your sort of leaving the church and grappling with that and deciding to leave had to do with things that like retrospectively you would identify as feminist issues kind of like, did any of it have to do with the how the church treats women or the church's beliefs on women? Or was that kind of really irrelevant? <sighs> the mixed bag of things and coming out of Mormonism, it was hard to see exactly. I started going down the historical you know, learning about the history of Mormonism. And that's what kind of flared me up. Like, wait, I didn't know about this. I've been an active believer for my whole life. And now I'm learning all of these things about Mormon history that didn't resonate with me. And then as I was peeling back those layers, I could start to see the patriarchal setup of Mormonism, which you would think being in it and looking at the hierarchy of Mormonism, you could see it's all men. But my brain couldn't see that. Because it just was what it was. It just was. Right. You're just like, of course, they're in charge. That's that's the norm. Yeah. A bunch of white men. Yeah. (laughs) And yes, they are all white. So yeah, that was my lived experience. So until I could start peeling back the layers and get to this one, I'm like, oh, okay. Right. Like I couldn't separate it for a while. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear any of you who want to speak to kind of how going through ACF, the advanced certification feminist coaching kind of changed your relationship to the word or the concept? That's a very broad question. But just, I think like, I'm sure that, well, again, like I said, some of our listeners are, you know, dyed in the wool. And maybe like Linda, like already were feminists, but may not even know what pieces they're missing. And then some people probably, you know, are like, oh, I don't like that word. I like your podcast. But why do you have to talk about the feminism so much? So I think like, <laughs> whatever experience you want to share would be useful. I think when we got the box, like I was kind of like everybody else, like I'm going to join this. I didn't even know exactly what I was going to get out of it. I had no clue how many blocks I had. And so when we opened up the box and the first book was Ain't I Woman Enough by Bell Hooks, I was like, I was sold after that. Mm. You know, like Maggie, like I call myself, you know, a pay as you go school kind of person. So I just took the bare minimums and like community college. And so I never took a, like I was in nursing and then, 
you know, biology and everything. So I never took any of the women's studies or women. So I had no exposure. I think for me, there was almost a little bit of shame too of like, mm-hmm. how come you don't know this? Like, mm-hmm. oh, like, but it was just where I was and I was okay with like, okay, well, I'm learning at 56 now, all of this. And so I started on a travel trove of just like I ordered Brittany Cooper's books. I ordered Kareem, you know, Mitchell's books. Like I'm like reading it all now. Yeah. I love that so much. I guess I have two follow-up questions. One is if you were sort of like, I don't know what this thing is I'm signing up for. And it was called the feminist training. And you're like, I don't know about feminism. What made you sign up for it? I think it was literally like listening to your podcast over the years and like understanding the patriarchy and like, okay, But I think it was once I got in that I really understood because still like it's like the patriarchy. I still literally saw white men. I never made the distinction of or like the connection of like, oh, it's in the black community, too. I think that's Mm -hmm. what blew my mind is when it was Mm -hmm. like, oh, there's, you know, black male patriarchy, Mm -hmm. too. And that's when I was like, oh, my. okay, Mm -hmm. so but again, I didn't get that until I just knew it was something to explore. Hmm. Yeah, I think like seeing all those different layers of it, like, okay, so there's like white supremacy, but then there's also misogynoir and like, how is it playing right. out in different communities? Yeah. Yeah. So now what do you think feminism? Well, maybe let's, all right, I'll save that till the end, but it's another question. I want to hear everybody what they think feminism means to me. Anybody else, Maggie, you want to share with us what happened when you got, <laughs> when your husband already knew you were a feminist, but then you decided maybe you were a feminist? <laughs> yes. So <laughs> when George Floyd happened, I had an awakening because up to that point, and so I feel so identified with Brick too, like I grew up the daughter of a single mom and my whole first chapter of my life was really surviving. Like I didn't have time to have like these philosophical Mm -hmm. debates about things. I would like having bologna sandwiches for lunch. You know what I mean? Like it was a different time. And I read this document from Dismantling Racism that was the characteristics of white supremacy culture. And it was everything I coach on every day. And I was like, Mm. oh, wait a minute. Everything makes sense now. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it all came into focus. So right after that, you announced that you were doing this. And then I read the page where you said it was like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. And Oh, yeah. yeah. Just so people know what we're talking about. It said that if you try to coach a woman without understanding patriarchy and white supremacy and all the different structures of intersection, it's like bringing a butter knife to a sword fight. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And I read that and I said, this is for me. I don't care what it's called. (laughs) You're like, sword fights, I'm in. I'm there, right? I'm already having them. Mm -hmm. I need better tools. So that was really the impetus to sign up in the first place. And then as we went through the material and as we went through all these different aspects of all the ways that this ocean that we swim in affects where we get stuck in our lives, right? As coaches, we help people get unstuck in whatever specialty we have. I was like, yes. So now I address the ocean we swim in, obviously Mm -hmm. with much more depth of knowledge, but also much more of my own sort of reflections upon, let's look at how this came to be. We still have things to thought work and model out and see, Mm -hmm. but let's consider the ocean we're in as we do that thought work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious to hear from the rest of you and get to that, how it's impacted kind of the work you're doing. So I think that's a big piece of this too. So what about you, Linda? 
Yeah, I love that Maggie brought up that part of the copy because that was what was really hook, line, and sinker for me as well. Because I was like, how many times am I not serving well enough, both in my day job and my coaching job, because I don't have this knowledge? Mm -hmm. Why am I accepting that a butter knife is enough? Like, I'm not that gal. Mm -hmm. I want to go like 300% in. (laughs) She's an OB surgeon. You do do C-sections, right? So you definitely need not a butter knife. I do mostly, (laughs) yeah. And I do mostly radiology type stuff. We did this podcast yesterday where she used a surgery mm -hmm. example, which is where I was (laughs) I do that sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. I do mostly sick babies and sick moms. But that's why this is relevant because, I mean, if anybody's paid any attention to the maternal mortality statistics lately, Mm -hmm. they're dismal in our country. And there's a wide racial discrepancy. And I live in Georgia. So there is probably 50% of my patients are black and 50% are white. So this is very relevant to my everyday life. And I was like, if I can do better for these mamas, because I have a better understanding of some of these contexts and can show up in a better way for Mm -hmm. them. How is that not freaking amazing? Like maybe I can be a better doctor because I'm a better Mm -hmm. coach, which Mm -hmm. is like just a whole nother level of mind blowing. And then in my coaching life, I'm coaching women on salary negotiations. So all these kind of diverse layers of intersectionality come into that like full force. I mean, if you want to bring out bias and all of those things, talk about money, right? Mm -hmm. And talk about money and hierarchical, hierarchical, hierarchical. I always have trouble with that word. Yeah. I was like, I can't Hierarchy influence structures, we can call them. structures. Yeah, there we go. Let's talk about that so that I can speak English. (laughs) Southern is my new first language. And so being able to bring all those extra facets to what I do in both of my roles Mm -hmm. just was so attractive to me because as soon as I saw that, that was a gap, it was like, I can't open that door. Like Mm -hmm. I need to walk through this door and really make sure that I'm getting everything I can out of it. Yeah. So good. What about you, Amy? Yeah. I love this because this is like kind of what we were referring to earlier about my experience growing up Mormon. I researched my way out of Mormonism, basically. Mm. And so any other door that makes me feel uncomfortable, I knew I would need to step into. And so being a feminist was a bad word. I'm like, okay, the only way I can figure out if that's true for me is if I study. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Education is the key to everything. And so that's why this course was so appealing to me because I thought, okay, I'm just going to learn. I'm going to see. I'll make my own opinion Mm -hmm. based on the information that I'm studying because then I can pull from all these resources, which you had amazing resources and content for us that blew my mind to once again realize how much I didn't know. Mm -hmm. You know, as a woman in this country, a a white woman, not seeing the intersectionality of it all, that was Mm -hmm. life changing for me. Like everything I do now is so different. And being that I do coach women, mostly women, I coach some men too, who are coming out of Mormonism. I knew that I couldn't be the only person who's confused by this feminist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely not the only person. (laughs) Would you call yourself a feminist now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, and Maggie talked about this a little bit, but also if she wants to say more, any of you want to talk about how you think like, it's almost like this identity shift, right? You're like, okay, now I am a feminist. And as a coach, we know identity shifts like filter out right into the way that you do anything else, right? You think of yourself as this kind of person and then that creates feelings and actions and results in your life. So I'd just be curious to hear like what you see has changed either in your personal life and your way of thinking about yourself and your coaching or just whatever it is, like the shift from either I'm not a feminist to I am a feminist or from 
oh, this is what feminism means. Oh, no, it means all these other like way bigger things I hadn't considered. And like, I need to bring an intersectional approach to my work, like how that's changed you personally or in your coaching work. It's whoever wants to jump in. I'll go first because yeah. I have lots of thoughts. Do it. <laughs> Tell us all your thoughts. So first, I became aware of my unconscious heteronormativity at a higher mm. level. Like I had some inkling, but now I'm really clear, especially I'm a marriage coach. So I'm talking about marriage all the time and just bringing it to my own awareness and calling myself out on it. And even when I'm sometimes giving examples on my podcast and I'll catch myself doing something mm. and I'll just say it live and course correct there. The principles of feminist coaching, like our first module in the class, I really had the sensation that if you taught us nothing else and all that's all we did for the <laughs> whole time together, that would have been worth investing in the class because <laughs> just seeing my coaching and my life through that lens of those feminist principles just opened up something that was never there before. It just expanded <laughs> me in a whole new way. The idea of being non-hierarchical. So my family was Catholic when I was growing up. Like, welcome to hierarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that and Mormonism have some things in common. Here's a bunch of white dudes, even though Jesus was Middle Eastern details. Right. So that idea of not being non-hierarchical, I started, it's almost like if I was walking around in the dark and then you turned on the light and I was like, oh, I am being hierarchical, even how I lead the session or even how I lead this group or even how I encourage Mm -hmm. communication or the container that I'm creating. And it made me revisit like previous decisions that I had made when I wasn't conscious that I was, it was an unconscious hierarchical mindset. Mm -hmm. That is what these patriarchal mindsets are. We don't even realize that we're in that ocean. Mm -hmm. That was massively, massively powerful for Mm -hmm. me. Can you give us a concrete example just to sort of give folks an idea? Totally. So one of the examples that you gave, which really spoke to my heart, was when you did one of your very first groups, you were the only one who coached in Mm. that group. You sort of had it on lockdown as to what the rules were (laughs) and all of that. And then I had created something similar in my unknowingness. And I was running a, a small group at the time. And as soon as I learned what you were talking about, let it be messy. Let us all help each other grow. Let that be part of it. I just embraced all of that. And mm-hmm. one of the things I teach in marriage is do-overs. There's never a bad mm-hmm. time for a course correction. You can do it in the middle of a fight. It doesn't matter. This is like one of the principles mm-hmm. I teach all the time. So I gathered the group on our next call and I said, we're doing a do-over. This is what I did when I wasn't present and wasn't aware of this unconscious hierarchy that I was perpetuating. Here's what we're going to do now. And here's how it's going to flow. And we just had a great conversation about it. And what was beautiful about that is one of my clients was like, oh, you're modeling what a do-over looks like. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Mm. And we're changing the way we're moving forward from now on too. How has that been to let them coach each other? I mean, my perception of it is it's been fabulous. They have great things to say. So we're going to assume that we all agree that it's been fabulous. <laughs> it opened a new portal for vulnerability, for help, for support, mm-hmm. especially when people are struggling in marriages. Very often they talk to no one else about it. Mm-hmm. And so having someone you can trust and talk about the struggle is equally as important as whatever I have to say, right? Mm-hmm. Or sometimes more so. So then when I started my next group, we just started that way. Like, this is how mm-hmm. we do things here. And I think it's just a better way to live. So, Yeah, it's so good. I was just talking about this in this focus group I did because 
I was sort of talking about the fact that like it is messy, right? So it's like if I kept everything on lockdown, yeah. then I could make sure that no one ever said anything, you know, like I could just sort of control it all more. Yeah. And like there's more risk to letting everybody just coach each other, but there's also so much more reward, right? And I think especially as coaches, you know, both were taught the hierarchy, but then also it's there's this natural human like tendency to look outside of ourselves for answers and we've hired someone to help us. And sometimes we want to make them the authority so we can rebel against them. There's like all kinds of complicated psychological dynamics that go on. But and then there's also this thing I think that often we are like, well, okay, my coach could figure it out because like they're a coach or they're special or they're whatever, right? But when you have your peers communicating with you and teaching you, right? I think it makes it much harder to be like, I'm a special snowflake who can never change my thoughts, right? Or Car is a special snowflake and that's why she can do it. So yeah, so good. Anybody else want to get in on this sort of what's changed for you? Yeah, Amy. I'll, I'll speak to this. What's changed for me, which I think was so important, is the terminology I use to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Previous to this course, I thought I needed to keep it just from my white woman experience. Mm-hmm. And just tweaking my language to be more inclusive of so many different people in this world, it's making connections that I didn't think would happen just from changing my inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And that might seem small, but it's been huge for me. And I just love the connection that's happening because of it. Yeah, I think people, one of the things that goes wrong is when people are thinking about trying to be more inclusive, trying to have a more kind of equity-centered business or conversations, they think that they have to be like PhD expert level to like say or do anything. And the truth is like, especially in the coaching industry, the bar is so fucking low. Like, can you just like mention that whatever anti-Semitism or fat phobia or racism exists, can you like try using a gender neutral pronoun? Like you actually just a little bit makes people feel seen, right? And makes them feel like you might be a safe person to talk to. It has to be genuine, obviously, but it's like you don't have to be like an expert level Jedi about all this. I mean, what the fuck? You know, yeah, I've been saying this for 20 yeah. years and I still don't know as much as lots of people. Yeah. And but that, just that, any gesture towards that. But people yeah. want to wait until they're like, okay, well, I have three PhDs in critical race theory, feminist theory, and intersection, you know, and like now I'm ready to speak on it. Yeah. And that's my point. I don't have to be an expert in everyone's lived experience. But right. To see that we're all experiencing things a little bit differently and to be inclusive of that. Right. And you can't be an expert in everyone's lived experience, but there's a huge difference. Like all you actually have to do, it's so funny. It's like always the opposite in coaching. You just have to acknowledge out loud that you are not an expert in other people's lived experience for them to be like, okay, maybe I can talk to her. Like she at least understands, right, that she is not an expert on my experience. So maybe we can have a conversation as opposed to when we try to hold ourselves out like we're a new, you know, Simone Soul and I are doing this limited series podcast. It'll be out by the time this is out. So in the podcast series, we did. Sometimes podcasts feel like time bending. You're like, when I'm talking, when it's coming out, what will have already happened, that podcast series will be out. It's called Outside the White Box because it's all about this idea that like coaching does not take place in any like white box where everybody just enters the box and then everything they've ever experienced as like a person in the world where they're treated differently for various reasons doesn't exist. And you don't have to be an expert in all of it. You just have to be willing to say, I know I don't know. Here's some tools I have. Here's the ways I've used them. Some of these you may find analogous or helpful. I don't know what your lived experience is. Like, let's have a conversation about it. What about you, Greg or Linda? I think for me, it was mostly, it explained my duality. As a high achieving Black woman and like this strong, like I do this, do this, do this, but why do I people please? Why is what they say matter so much? 
why I went into fight or flight, why I had such strong reactions to other people's opinions of me. I saw all my attachments. It made me go, oh, of course, that's why I do that. Mm -hmm. So it totally made me normal and made me understand and accept all of me. Like as a black woman, I understand why I'm more protective and deal with security, why security is such a big thing for me when I understood the history and how everything is language and how I'm outside of the sphere in the constant work. And so I'm aware of it, but the way it was explained in the course, it was like, oh, I get it. It was like, it put all the pieces together as Maggie was saying, it's like, I understood. And so for me as a coach now, it just helps me make a safe place for all my clients. Mm-hmm. Like they're high achieving, they're PhD, but I feel like an imposter. Like mm-hmm. they work at the White House. Like I have, <laughs> like they work at the White House. I'm like, you work at the White House, right. but I have this problem. I'm insecure about this. When I get this email, I have this reaction. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was like, I just get to show them like you've been conditioned this way Mm -hmm. and this is why your body reacts to it. And this is how we get to like understand and like create safety. And like, so it's like, it's just another level of this is nothing's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. It's like totally nothing wrong with you. Yeah. I think that is like, to me, one of the most important pieces is just, it's funny because in coaching, sometimes we say like, you don't need to know the why. And that's true to some extent. Like, I don't think you have to trace everything back to whatever childhood thing. Right. But when there's a whole system, this is just like talking about one instance of like sexism versus a whole system. When there is a whole system, you can't really understand what's going on with you if you don't understand that. Right. Cause then you're in that place where you're like, okay, well, my coach explained flight versus fright to me. So I understand the evolutionary biology, but like, it still keeps happening. And it's like in these specific situations or with these specific people, or it's like, you know, it's like until you can pull back and be like, oh, well, I've been socialized to think that like, I'm not good enough for these particular reasons. And I have to show up this particular way as a woman, as a black woman, as a Cuban woman, as a fat woman, whatever. Now I can start to see why is this thing? It's sort of like, I feel like sometimes it's like initial coaching tools will take care of the low hanging fruit. (laughs) Right, and then it's right. like the stuff that is really deeply in there. Some of it might be family, and then some of it is the social stuff that we're not looking at otherwise. Right, right. Because yeah. it's like for my clients, it's like especially it's our thoughts about us. If we look at our thoughts about us, it's like, oh, I'm I'm a badass. If you ask, you know, I'm a badass. But then it's like, oh, but what I think other people think of me that is more mm-hmm. important, and why. And then just explaining all of that. And like, even in relationships, 70% of black women are single, like Mm -hmm. 70%. I'm like, that's systemic racism. That's Mm -hmm. a system. That's not a me problem. That's a we problem. Yeah. And when you explain it that way, it's like, so it's like all of it is like, oh, something's wrong with me. No, it's a whole system. Mm -hmm. So it is a C, but it is a T and it is a C too. (laughs) Right. 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 So it's like, it just takes everything from a DEFCON 10 to a DEFCON 4. Now we can work on it. Now we Mm -hmm. can change the thoughts. Yeah. And I think like one of the things that I really realized when I was working through all this for myself, when I first found coaching and I was like, okay, like this part is so helpful, but like, what about all this other stuff? Like, are we not talking about, you know, why are we not talking about any of this part? Was it's like sometimes the way coaching is taught is sort of like the way to empower people is to make them believe that like no circumstance matters. Right. And I'm like, people don't need to like be treated like they're three years old. Right. Like you can say to someone, yeah, systemically, like 
circumstance wise, for instance, if you're a black woman who wants a black partner to and wants to marry a black man, many of them are in prison because we live in a system of racial apartheid. There are literally less people available. Now, how do we want to think about that circumstance? What are we going to do? Right. I did a lot of this work on dating in a fat body. Like, I do not need to pretend to myself that there is no fat phobia in the world, right? That there is no discrimination against fat people in the dating pool. Like, I'm never going to believe that. We have statistics, right? right. Like, right. I don't need to believe, but I don't need to believe that to feel empowered. What I need to believe is, okay, a lot of shit in the world is not the way I would want it. Now, how do I want to show up? How do I want to be resilient? Like, that's what's so powerful. Cause then I'm like, fuck it, bring it world. Like, what else do you have that's fucked up that I'm going to try to help fix? Like, I don't need to believe that there are no circumstances or boundaries that make, you know, it's like gravity exists. If I jump out the window, I'm going to fall. Like, I don't have to believe that that's not true in order to feel empowered. And in fact, knowing that it's true keeps me from jumping out the window, which is actually, you know, empowering and keeps me alive. Totally. Yeah. So good. What about you, Linda? Yeah. And I think coming, listening to all of their answers, this comes up for the gals that I'm helping in a few ways. I think one way it's really helped me is to not see it as there's simply a gender gap in medicine because it's more than just a gender gap, right? There's a gender gap. And then there are all these other marginalized identities that I may not understand on a personal level, but if I can make it a safe space for the women who do to talk about how that is impacting their pay and what they're able to negotiate for or how they're perceived when they ask for more. I mean, one of the most common things that I hear as a barrier is I don't want to be seen as greedy. Mm-hmm. And that tends to come up. And then there are all these other levels of like, I don't want to be seen greedy because I'm so lucky that they're sponsoring my visa to practice medicine in this country. Mm -hmm. Immigrant women in medicine have like a whole nother set of hurdles to go over in their job negotiations. And then you add in all the other identities and just giving them the space to acknowledge that that's coming up for them in their negotiation. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to understand exactly how it's coming up to be able to help them because they do understand how it's coming up if they're able to kind of look at it and bring that awareness to the fact that, huh, I never thought about that, but maybe that is coming up for me. Yeah, it's like the the next level of your client is always in the best position to solve their own problem, right? It's just like, we don't tell people what to do because you know your life better than I do. You know your own brain. I just have to help you see clearly, right? Like, you're not going to know an immigrant woman's experience better than she is. Your job is just to help her see her own experience clearly. And then she's going to be able to figure out what to do. Right. And it's always something that I had shied away from before because I was Mm -hmm. like, what do I know about that? Right. I was born in Detroit. (laughs) I don't know anything about an immigrant experience, Mm -hmm. but I can hold the space to let her know that that could be a part of this Mm -hmm. and that that's okay. And it's something that she can work through with these same tools. And I don't have to understand it to help her because it's not about me doing the helping. It's about me providing the tools and she's helping herself. It's such a good example also of what we were just talking about, which is like, yeah, there will be people on the other side of the negotiating table sometimes who have thoughts about you that are explicitly or implicitly shaped by their biases. We don't have to pretend that's not true in order right. to empower people in negotiations, right? We got to acknowledge that that might be true. Now, what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to be strategic? When are we going to fight it out? When are we going to try to go somewhere else? Like that, I feel like that's such a perfect example of, because this comes up a lot. It's sort of like, well, okay, what I believe in myself, but like other people are going to have racist or sexist or homophobic or bigoted thoughts, right? And like, yeah, they are. 
So let's not pretend that that's not happening. <laughs> let's figure out how you're going to show up knowing that sometimes you're right. That's what's going on. Sometimes you're wrong. That's what's going on. It doesn't even matter, right? It's like, how are you going to show up knowing we don't have an x-ray machine for what's going on with whoever we're dealing with? Right. And helping to choose an outcome that you do have control over, right? Like my win in the negotiation is that I can show up the way I want to. Mm -hmm. And then I can decide based on the specifics and the parameters, if this is a yes for me or not, Mm -hmm. it is not a unilateral conversation. It's not a hierarchical hierarchy based um, (laughs) conversation. (laughs) We decided I have an MD, but I can't speak English. Okay, This is like Um, the podcast we did on quote unquote cancel (laughs) culture, where we came up with like, we were like an online on accountability (laughs) discourse process. And then we had to say that every time. (laughs) Right, right. I actually just listened to that one this week. So that's super fun. But yeah, like, you can still have the authority, even if they don't Mm. give you what you want, you still ultimately get to choose is that right for you or not? Do you Mm -hmm. want to pursue another thing or not? And none of that is outside of you. So you can Mm -hmm. win whether or not they give you what you've asked for. Because at the end of the day, if you really get kind of in that headspace of I showed up the way I wanted to show up, that's a major win. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter how they respond as to whether or not it's a win. I mean, obviously, it's wonderful if they give you all the money and make it Mm -hmm. even or even better because of all that back pay that you're deserved. But that's not ultimately the result that you're chasing. The result you're chasing Mm -hmm. is that you showed up and you left that shit on the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's so insidious because I think one of the critiques you often hear would be like, like, let's say one of the critiques of that would be, well, certain women don't have other options or can't do other things, right? Or whatever. But part of the whole insidiousness of any oppressive system is it gets in your head and makes you think that you don't have any options, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like people conflate both acknowledging that oppressive systems and discrimination exist, but they think that if you do that, that means you also have to believe and agree that like people don't have any options, right? Which is not empowering at all. But like often that comes up sort, right? It's like those things are put together. And I think those have to be so separate because the belief that you can't change your life, that you don't have any options, that the oppressive structure dictates everything that's possible for you and about your life and that there's nothing you can do about it. That's actually the oppressive system in your head, right? That's who taught you to think that way. And so when we like agree with that, right, we're actually like doing the oppressor's work for them or for it. Like we have internalized the system And we're believing what it tells us, which is what keeps us putting up with whatever bare minimum we can get. Right. And from accessing opportunities that might be available. I mean, and accessing the creativity of our brain, right? right. When you tell yourself there's no other option, your brain's like, great, time for a snack. I'm done. Let's watch Netflix, (laughs) right? When you believe there's options, your brain's like, boom, five different things we could try. Here's what we do. Like, let's go. Yeah. So good. Right. All right. I know we're coming up on an hour because this was such a good conversation. Is there any anything else people want to add? Any final or closing words? Anything you want you feel like you didn't get to say about your relationship to feminism or how it's impacting your work or your personal life? Anything? What I want to add is what the course helped me do is like zoom out and mm-hmm. see because I would see similar things coming up with my clients all the time. We probably a lot of us probably do. And this course let me see the bigger picture because mm-hmm. I was so mono focused on this one area. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the reason my clients are having a hard time overcoming this or can't see it from this point of view, because this course covered so many areas that it just kind of like opened my eyes, made me see the connections and why, especially women are coming with the same issues again and again, mm-hmm. because of how we've been socialized, how we've been raised, how we've made connections, not even seeing the hierarchy. 
I'll just mm-hmm. use that word. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I do think that came up a lot, especially in the work module. Everybody was like, oh, this is why my clients are like this. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's how I came to this sort of was like, as I started doing my own self-coaching and watching my clients and just watching my friends' brains, you know, when you learn about this and whenever anybody talks to you, you're like, circumstance, thought, feel like, sort like in your own brain, just kind of like sorting it all out and just being like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why are all of these women who are like, professors and chiefs of staff at philanthropy foundations and doctor, right? Like, how do we all think we're imposters? Like, this is not, something is not right here, right? This is not just like personal family history. This is not just biology. Like, there is something else going on here. Obviously, I knew about feminism, but it's like, that's, I think, how it got integrated into the coaching for me was the same thing of being like, I'm having the same conversation (laughs) with a lot of people. Like, and they did not talk about this in coaching school. Something else is going on here. Like, what is this? Yeah, this helps see the big picture. It's like putting the big topical map down. You could start making the connections where Mm. without this, I I felt like I was just too much in it. And this just really helped give me a better map to see what's going on. Mm. I love that. Yeah. For me, it was like, it just helped me help my clients become creators, become architects because they mm-hmm. understood why they were stuck. And now we just went dismantling those thoughts and then creating new ones. Yeah. There's something so empowering for whatever reason about being able to be like, oh, this is where this thought comes from. Right. It's not mine. Right. It's like, because I think what happens is if you have a thought that's like, you know, whatever, I'm stupid. I'm not good enough. I'm all of our favorite thoughts. It's like, you just keep thinking like, well, but maybe I have it because it's true, right? It's like you're sort of engaged constantly in this low-level debate with yourself, even if you right. like know it's not helpful, where you're like, yeah, but I have the thought for a reason. I mean, I don't think I'm a dinosaur. So if I think I'm stupid, maybe it's because I am. Like, where is that, right? And understanding where it comes from, I feel like it's so freeing. It, it allows you to really be like, oh, this shit is even mine. I didn't even come right. up with this. I didn't create right. this. Like, I did not consent to this being put in my brain and I am going to get the, the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's so empowering for my clients when they get it. It's like, oh, I get it. Like, it makes sense. Like, cut the cords. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut the cord. Exactly. You're like, I didn't grow this. This is an interloper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. All right. Anybody else have anything they want to say? For our final project, we all did different things. And for my final project, I did this thing called the Internalized Patriarchy Relationship Inventory. And I want to say two things about it. Like letting it be messy, who am I to be qualified to create such a thing? I just wanted to do it. So I did it, right? Yeah. It's the idea that is it better to look at it messily and let it be completely mm-hmm. imperfect and even be missing a, some huge chunk of thing, but start ta- having the conversation or do we wait for it to be perfect? And that's one thing that I'm taking away from the class for forever that is like, this is valuable. This is important. Let's have a messy conversation about it and let that be okay. Think about all the messes that like white dudes have made throughout history. Yes. <laughs> yes. So They're happy to make a mess. <laughs> yes. And when I announced it to my group, I said, this is what we're going to work on next week. I'm, it's in progress. I'm doing this for my class. They cheered. I know that was like this moment where I was like, oh, this is why I do this work. This is what it's all about. It was such a moment where I thought they don't care if it's messy. Look at the course itself. Like we went through and I was like, hey, guys, what am I missing? Y'all like, like, here's all the things you're missing. And I was like, great. Yeah, I'm sure I am. Tell me more. And then we're going to revise and then we'll have the same thing happen all over again. Like, yes, not have to be perfect to be helpful. To be and to be so valuable and so life changing for people. And so you modeled that so well for us. And I feel so equipped to then keep modeling that 
for myself, living it for myself and modeling it for my clients. Yeah, it's like the opposite of perfectionism. You know, you yeah. go, it's like you just go in, you're like, yeah, this is probably a mess, but I think it's still helpful. And then let's see if we can make it any better. And it's such a socialization thing also that women are supposed to, it's supposed to be like perfect and beyond reproach. And then especially if you're a woman of color or especially if you're, you know, a disabled one, especially whatever, the more marginalized identities you have, the more it's supposed to be like perfect and beyond reproach because you're going to be judged so harshly. So you can't put anything out there that's not perfect. And like, fuck that noise, right? Like people are going to judge you no matter what. Do you want to put your unfinished messy work in the world and do something? Like it's like being, you know, when I think about my version of it, it's like, as a fat woman, I'm never going to be able to like, present myself in a way that makes a like thin supremacist person agree with me that it's okay to be me. You know, like it's just this is never going to happen. So like I can't spend all my time being like, let me just get this perfect so that then they'll all agree with me. Like they're not going to agree with me, right? You can't like be a perfect enough woman to make a misogynist like agree with you. You can't be a perfect enough person of color to make a white, you know, a racist agree with you. Like you have to, yeah, put it out there messy and let the people who want to be in conversation with you be there with you. All right. Thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about this. I know it's such a helpful conversation. It's just so fun. This is a slow way to bring people to the feminism cause, converting you one by one through a high-end coaching program. But, you know, I just got to meet my quota for this year. And now I got got four more. No. So <laughs> such, totally. a, such a privilege to, to be your, your teacher and your coach. And thank you for coming on and sharing all this with everybody. We just want to group hug everyone and we can't on the Zoom. We're all hugging each other on the Zoom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.